Good evening, church. Can I just tell you that uh, Pastor Debbie and I, we've just had the time of our lives the last few days. You are really a special, special group of people. I love being in worship with you. Uh, Tonight, y'all were just kind of on fire, you know. Pastor Rob had his groove going up here, you know, and it was, uh, it was really cooking. And, and we got a holy motion section over here that just kind of had their thing going. And, and uh, it's just good to be here. I said it to your staff last night. I don't often see this. I don't often always sense this. A people so committed to Christ and to one another who love Jesus and love the church. Can I tell you how important that is, that you love the church? And it's clear that you do. And so I really do believe that there are great days ahead for you, that there is an awakening that is taking place. And so it's just been an incredible privilege to to be able to be with you and to be able to open the word with you. And so tonight I want to just invite you one last time to take your Bibles and join me. And it looks like we might even have the slides up there. Is that going to work tonight? That is awesome. And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn to 1 Peter in the New Testament towards the end of the Bible... And I'm going to begin reading at chapter 1, verse 1, 1 Peter 1, 1. Would you listen to the word of the Lord? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And in some translation, I'm pretty sure it says Tehachapi, too. (laughs) God the Father knew you and chose you long ago and is making you holy through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, giving you the desire to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. I have to tell you that I have come here tonight Filled with hope. I am just overflowing with hope. Now, there are probably a whole lot of different reasons why you all came to church tonight or why you've come any of these nights or why you come to this church or why you would go to any church. But there is a real sense that all of us have been gathered to this place by hope. We are gathered by hope, and tonight we trust that somehow we will sense that hope 
uh, we have a hope that, that God will show up. Amen? Amen? That God will speak. That God will touch us. A hope that there might be healing, that there might be an answer, that there might be guidance. Hope for something that you alone know about. But I have to tell you that hope is a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing because uh, hope captures your mind. And then it captures your heart. And then it begins to woo you. It compels you. It invites you. It captures you to give your heart and mind wholly and completely to whatever or to whoever you have put your hope in. So we must be careful in whom we have placed our hope. I know this to be true. A while back, I had decided that... uh, I wanted to take up a new hobby, just looking for something to do. And so I, I thought and thought and decided, you know, I want to learn to fly a drone. I want to learn to fly it for the fun of, of just learning to fly it and also for aerial photography. I thought it would just be a great thing. And so I began to do all the research, and I, and I searched and searched. And finally, all the literature said that if you, if you wanted to learn to fly a drone as a beginner, to, to be able to get the best experience and to have the best aerial photography, it was this drone. It was this drone. It was, I knew exactly what I wanted, and so uh, I just began to prepare and search, and, and it wasn't really cheap, and so I knew I was going to have to save a little bit of money, so I saved my money, and, and then I began to look for the best deal. Man, I was looking and looking for the best deal, and I finally found it. I mean, it was an amazing deal. I was so excited. I knew the drone that I wanted. I, I'd found this great price. And so I went to Debbie. I said, what do you think? I've been thinking about this. And she said, get it. And so I got it. I, I ordered it. And I was so excited. And a couple weeks passed. And, and the box came. And, and, and it wasn't quite as big a box as I thought. But it's all good. And so uh, I, I brought it in. And, and with great excitement, I opened the box. And out came my drone. Now, it flies, but not very good. And the camera doesn't work at all, so it's a, it's a blind drone. They lied to me. They took advantage of me. And I couldn't get a hold of them. Nobody returned calls or emails, and I couldn't get my money back. And this was not what they advertised. It was not what was promised. And you might imagine that I was, I was deeply disappointed. I was angry. I was ashamed. I was so embarrassed I didn't tell anybody about this for a long, long time. <laughs> and my trust, my hope in humanity was badly damaged. We must be careful where we put our hope. And so a couple of minutes ago, you heard the scripture read that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, written 2,000 years ago by a man that we know as the Apostle Peter, a man whose life was completely and radically transformed when he met a man named 
Jesus. And he put his trust in Christ alone. And it changed everything. The story that we know about the Apostle Peter is that he would have spent much of his early life, like most Jews in that day, just longing for something better. Looking for something that would make his life a little easier. Because if you were a Jew living in that day, it was not easy to live under the authority of Rome. There was a so-called peace. They called it the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, but it was, it was brutal. They could take your stuff. They could take your house. They could take your kids. They could take your wife. They could take your life. They could drag you out and nail you to a cross, and you had no recourse as a Jew. And so for Peter and all the folks like him, they had been longing for something, longing for freedom, longing for deliverance, longing for hundreds of years for Messiah. But there had been so many frauds, so many fakes, so many lies that they weren't really sure what they could trust in. And so the hope that they had was kind of distant. It was just kind of out there somewhere. So for most of Peter's life, whatever hope he had, it was, it was in himself. It was in what he could do by himself, for himself. It was in his abilities as a fisherman and as a family man. He believed in God. He believed that Messiah was coming someday. But as for today, if there was going to be anything better, it was going to be up to him and his abilities. Now, it seems to me that that's one of the great challenges in the world today and especially in the church today. See, I don't think that our world is all that much different than the days when Peter and his friends were alive. People today have been promised so many things. You've been promised by politicians. You've been promised by peddlers and visionaries and virtuosos. You've been promised no more war. And there's another one. And there's another one. You've been promised we'll deal with the violence and, and we'll stop the shootings, but there's another one and another one. You've been promised that We'll stop poverty, but it's not happening. That will cure diseases, but people keep dying. You've been promised all kinds of things like this. And again and again, people promise that just brings disappointment. We see all the conflict in the world and so they tell us, you should trust in the government. How's that working out for you? You should trust in Wall Street or Main Street. How's that working out for you? Surely Google and Amazon and Facebook, they can deliver all the things that, that you're looking for, and they will. Here it is, and there it goes. And there's another promise and another lie and another disappointment and so we have been conditioned. All of you have been conditioned in America in the 21st century really to trust in no one. You better trust in yourself because everybody else is going to take advantage of you. Everybody else is going to disappoint you. 
And so for many people in the church today, it seems that what's happened is that we can love Jesus, but it's really up to me. It's up to me to, to take care of myself, to, to do what my family needs. And it kind of runs counter to what we've been taught in church. There's that old song that, that you probably know. Do you know this song? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. You know the song. You understand it. But we've been conditioned, believe in Jesus, but trust in yourself. Build your life on what you can do for yourself. Now, it just seems to me that it was probably that way in the days of Peter, 2,000 years ago. But then one day, Peter was introduced to Jesus, and immediately he has the sense that all of my deepest longings, all of my hopes and dreams are somehow wrapped up in this man. My longings for my family, for my people, for the whole world, it's in him. My trust must be in Christ alone. He met Jesus, and he began the greatest adventure he'd ever known. He met Jesus, and he left his fishing business and everything that he'd trusted in. He met Jesus, and he got a new name and a new identity. He had been a fisher of fish, and now he's a fisher of souls. He met Jesus, and he saw water become wine. He met Jesus and he walked on water. He met Jesus and he saw people with every manner of disease being healed. He met Jesus and saw dead people rise to life again. He met Jesus and was so completely captured that he boldly exclaimed, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. He met Jesus and was confronted with his own brokenness. He discovered he wasn't as brave as he thought he was. He was, in fact, a coward, a liar, a denier. But he met Jesus, and he stood in the middle of an empty tomb. The stone had been rolled away, not so that Jesus could get out, but so that Peter could get in and believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, just like he said he would. He met Jesus and discovered that he was so deeply loved that even after his greatest failure, that Jesus restored him and gave him the keys to the kingdom and said, Peter, go and feed my sheep. He met Jesus. And in the power of Jesus, he went out and cast out demons and healed the sick and preached so powerfully that 3,000 people came to faith on the day of Pentecost. He met Jesus and for the rest of his life, he went around telling everyone of the good news of the hope that he'd found in Christ alone. So now then we get to this passage, and it's about 30 years after he first met Jesus. And it seems as though 
we would understand that Peter at this point is probably in Rome and he's probably being persecuted. He's suffering somehow because of his faith. And so he writes this letter to Christians who had been scattered. Uh, some were scattered by persecution. Some were scattered by just their vocation, their location. It was wherever they had found Jesus. And they wanted all of them to know, wherever they were, even if it was in Tehachapi, California, that while you may be residents of earth, you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that that would change everything. That they should never expect to be filled with hope because they're living in this world. Hope was going to come from another source. It was going to come from Jesus. Our hope would be in him alone. And so Peter wanted everyone to know that in Christ, they had the same faith. And that was a big deal because in this world, we all have the same problems. Amen? We all go through the same stuff. And sooner or later, we run short. We run short of all the important things at the most important times. We don't have enough power to be able to fix what's broken in our lives. We don't have enough love to overcome hate. We don't have enough hope to be able to get through all that we're facing. Peter wanted us to understand that we needed to turn and look somewhere else because everybody runs short. In John's gospel, it tells the story of, of Peter and the other disciples who went with Jesus to a wedding. It just so happened that Jesus' mother, Mary, was also there. You may know the story that in the middle of the wedding, they ran out of wine. It wasn't like today where somebody could say, could you run down to Vaughn's and just pick up a little bit? In those days, it was going to be a humiliation from which the host would never recover. But because Mary had already placed her trust in her son and Christ alone, Jesus performed the miracle and the water became wine and it was the best that anybody had ever tasted. Everybody runs short. Uh, I try to be in the gym two or three times a week as my travel schedule allows and I, I've come to realize across the, the years that the gym and the church, there's a lot of similarities between the crowds there. There really is. You know, at church, you got the faithful. Like all of you, they're there all the time. When the doors are open, they're there. Same thing at the gym. In the church, you got the people that, well, they're not completely faithful, but they're kind of faithful. I'm in that group at the, at the gym. At the church, you got the Christmas and Easter people, right? At the gym, it's the same. They get a new membership for two weeks. They're there every single day, and you don't see them again for the rest of the year. <laughs> and then in both places, you got the visitors. Where immediately you recognize, I don't, I don't know you. I haven't seen you before. You're a, you're a visitor. So a while back, I was at the gym, and, and I was on my treadmill, uh, again, a lot of similarity between the church and the gym. You know, here you all have your seats, right? And God help anybody that sit in your seat, you know. And so when I go to the gym, if somebody's on my treadmill, I just tell them, get off. I don't, I don't say that, but I'm thinking it. 
And so on this particular day, I'm on my treadmill doing my routine, three miles an hour, 5.5 incline. I'm just rocking it. Four treadmills down is beast girl. That's what I call it. <laughs> Not to her face. <laughs> I call her beast girl because she's a beast. I mean, she's like this extraordinary athlete. I'm going three miles an hour. It looks like she's going 30. And I've seen her keep that pace for the better portion of an hour. She is an extraordinary athlete. That's why I always want four treadmills in between me and her. I do not want to be exposed. And so in this particular day, I'm on my treadmill, three miles an hour, 5.5 incline. Beast girl's down there rocking at 30 miles an hour. And in walks this young man, and I immediately recognize you. Visitor, I've never seen you before. You're not a regular around here. And he just kind of comes rolling in. And immediately I recognize you're just checking out the action, aren't you? He sees this attractive young woman on the treadmill. He kind of starts rolling that way, and I'm saying under my breath, don't do it, brother. Don't do it. Don't do it. But he's not listening. And so he just kind of rolls over and kind of looks around and climbs up on that treadmill, stretches a little bit, flexes a little bit, and, and away he goes. The problem is she's going 30 miles an hour, so he has to go 32. He cannot do less than. Two minutes in, you can see that he's out of gas already. And he's not going to be able to keep up. Four minutes in, he's gotten spiritual. You can see he's praying that God will help her to go away. Five minutes in, he collapses and he can't do it. He turns around in shame, puts his back to the girl. It looks like he's about to have a heart attack. And in humiliation, he walks away. Well, I look over at the young woman, just looking straight ahead, but she's got the biggest smile on her face. <laughs> Everybody, everybody sooner or later will be embarrassed by our lack. In one way or another, everybody will run dry. But when our hope is in Christ alone, we never have to be embarrassed. Jesus will be our source. He will be our supply. And it will be the best you've ever experienced and you will never be put to shame well Peter reminds us that when you accepted an invitation into this new birth that you were born into hope uh, by the sacrifices of his death and the power of his resurrection there is an inheritance that can never fade away and so when you come to this place where hope is truly in Christ alone, it changes everything just like it did for Peter. Now, so what does it mean to be born into a living hope? Our middle daughter and her husband live in Bakersfield, and they're not able to have children. And so for several years, they had fostered kids, and it was an amazing journey, but they decided they wanted to adopt and so they adopted these two kids, brother and sister, that had just 
been through it in the worst kind of ways. And I'll never forget, as long as I live, the day that we all went to court and there were all these people from their church, we just kind of filled the courtroom that day. And the judge sensed that there was something absolutely special about this gathering of people. And so she goes through all the particulars and all the the legal description that has to be uh, uh, offered to us. And then she gets to this point where she looks at the little girl And she says, you once were called. But from this day forward, you shall be Michaela Joy with all the rights and all the privileges pertaining to that name. Do you accept your new name? Yes, Your Honor. And to the little boy, she said, you once were called. But from this day forward, you shall be called Caleb Isaac with all the rights And all the privileges pertaining to your new name. Do you accept your new name? And that changed everything. There are grands now. There are grands. When they walk in the front door, they go right to the closet to get the toys. They go right to the pantry to get the snacks. They don't wait in line for the blood grands to be first. They are ours. They are our grands. They know that they are children of our clan. Well, here's the problem in the church. We are the children of God. Amen? With all the rights and privileges pertaining to that new name. But I, there they are, right there. That's Caleb and that's Michaela. They are our grands. Well, for so many people in the church, they live as though they are second-class citizens just renting a room in Jesus' house. And somehow they don't have this sense That I am a child of God, that I can run into Jesus' arms. All that he has is mine. There is nothing held back. And so tonight I want to say it to you. You are the children of God with all the rights and privileges pertaining to your new name. Do you accept your new name? If if you do, say, I do. do. And it changes everything. Absolutely everything. To have faith in Christ alone is to believe that the creator of the universe, the one who put the sun in the sky, who put the stars in place, who breathed life into all things, he doesn't stand above you. He stands beside you. He put on flesh and blood to become one of us. And when we were at our worst, shouting, crucify him, crucify him, He was at his best, crying, Father, forgive them. They don't understand. And so he died and was put in a tomb, but he was raised to life again, and he conquered sin and death and hell, and the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now at work in you, the children of God, those who have believed in Christ And so it's important for us to come to believe that we are the children of God, that he loves us. 
And the more we recognize how much he loves us, the more we want to love him. And the more we love him, the more we want to live and love like Jesus. Amen? Amen. That is our desire. So, we would all say tonight that we want to live and love like Jesus. But one of the great challenges in our contemporary society, in the church, in too many cases, in an unintentional way, we have gotten to this place where we have become isolated in the world. We've kind of created an, an island of Christian culture. There it is. There is the church. That's a real church. That's a real place. But you can kind of see it in the mist. It's the island of Christian culture. It's a beautiful place. But the world passes right by. They don't know, they don't recognize, they don't see what is happening here among us. And somehow they've missed it. Well, the problem for a lot of us is that we've lived on the island so long, we've lived on the island so well, that we no longer know how to navigate the world as God's missionary people. We talked about that. What was it that we said last night? Missionary God... But if we are too isolated for too long, we forget how to do the world. We forget how to connect in the world. And something is missing in our lives. And so tonight I want, I want to talk to you for just a little bit about what that means and, and where we go from here. See, for us to begin to, to recognize that we need to get off the island. See, tonight when we say amen... And, and you all are sent from here. You've got to get off the island. You've got to navigate the world. So last night, in a sense, I commissioned you and sent you to be God's missionary people. You all gathered down here, and we prayed over you and blessed you and sent you God's missionary people. So what are you being sent to? I want to help you to understand just a little bit what you're headed back into, uh, the folks that you need to be looking for. If we are the people who are trusted in Christ alone, we are the children of God with all the rights and privileges pertaining to our new names, what is it that we're looking for as we leave the island? I want to introduce you to three groups tonight. I think it will help you. These are the folks that populate Tehachapi and the desert and the valley below. I think you'll understand a little bit. First, I, I want you to meet uh, the Duns. Nice couple, D-O-N-E-S. They're the Duns. They used to go to church. Uh, probably sang in the choir, taught a Sunday school class, were on the church board. They were wonderful people. They were always in church, it seemed. But then one day something happened. Got their feelings hurt. Didn't like the music. Got sideways with the pastor. Something happened, got disappointed. And one day they woke up and said, I'm done. I'm done with church. Sociologists have actually categorized this group of people and say that there are somewhere between 20 and 40 million adults in America who are categorized as duns. I used to go to church, but I am done. They are everywhere. 
They fill the hills and the valley. They're not done with Jesus. Most of them still believe in God, but, but they're done with the church. But God's not done with them. And the Holy Spirit is still stirring in them. But somehow we are the people who have to be sent to have eyes to see them. And then to sit with them and hear their stories and develop relationships with them. So that someday they might come to believe that what happened was that my trust, I believed in Jesus, but I was trusting in soccer. I believed in Jesus, but I was trusting in the school. I believed in Jesus, but I was trusting in the church. And the church and the school and soccer and everything else disappointed me. But now, my trust is in Christ alone. And everything has changed. And so you have to begin to get acquainted and you have to recognize that there are a lot of people out there that are exactly in that category. I suspect there, there are a lot of them that used to go to this church, don't you think? And we've got to love them in Jesus' name. It's your missionary call. A second group that I want you to meet, uh, they're the, the nuns, not of the Catholic variety, uh, the N-O-N-E-S. If you were to ask them today, most of them millennials, if you were to ask them what religious affiliation do you have, Baptist, Buddhist, whatever it may be, they would say none. I'm having none of it. I may be spiritual, but I don't identify with any religious group at all. I'm a nun. Again, sociologists have written a lot about this. They are 60 million strong in the United States. And they are the fastest growing group in America in terms of their identity. But they're very spiritual. And they have a sense that the world has let them down. That whatever hopes and dreams have not been fulfilled by their own efforts or by anybody else's promises, they know that this is what the world will do. And they're looking for something more. It is your missionary opportunity to begin to meet with, sit with, listen to, care for, love on. Invite them into your home. Sit in their coffee shop. Come alongside of them. They are everywhere around you. And they are looking for something better. And we can help them by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit not to be disappointed by a church or an organization, but to come to a place where my trust is in Christ alone. One last group that I want you to meet tonight. Uh, this is Gen Z. These are the kids in America today. And sociologists have studied this group. Uh, this group, again, is 40 or 50 million strong in America. And they will be in control of everything soon. They will drive the economy. They will drive the, the social status of the world. And what sociologists say of Gen Z is that about 80% of them at this point have never even thought about God. It's not that they've made a decision one way or another. They've never even thought about God. 
And yet sociologists also say that, that they feel this stirring. There is this restlessness. They know that they were created for something more. They've already figured out that the world will disappoint. I just don't know what I'm looking for. They don't know his name is Jesus. Again, they are your missionary opportunity to love them, to reach out with them, to, to partner with schools and, and in every other way that you can to help them to come to that place where they can put their trust in Christ alone. See, people are searching. They're, they are truly looking. I know this to be true. A few years back when Debbie and I were still in pastoral ministry, it was on a good Friday, and we'd done this big service at our church, and we had built this big tomb on one side of the, the auditorium. And we just made it as lifelike as we could. And on Good Friday, we told the story of Jesus' passion, of the upper room, of his suffering, of his sacrifice, of his death. And we laid what appeared to be a wrapped body in the tomb. And the lights grew dim. And I told everyone, come Sunday morning to discover the rest of the story. Well, most of you all, you know how the story goes. You know what happens. But Sunday morning we walk in and there's this young couple that comes in. As I walk into the sanctuary for first service, they're sitting right in front of the tomb. They have disconnected two chairs and they've set it in front of the tomb. I went up and introduced myself. I'm so glad that you're here. It's awesome. It's so good to have you here. Can I ask, why are you sitting there? He said, our hearts were so stirred. We've never been in church before Friday night. And we just had to come this morning and we had to find out what happened to the dead guy. What happened to the dead guy? Well, just hang on a little bit, and you're going to find out. And they were the first ones that morning to give their lives wholly and completely to Jesus Christ and to become children of God with all the rights and privileges pertaining to that name. How then should we proceed? How do we move forward from here? As we draw all of this week, this time together, what are the things that we need to be doing if we're going to have an impact as we go into this world, thinking about these folks that we've got to love on? Well, there's three simple things that I want to kind of bring a conclusion to, and here they are. Step number one, this is really profound. You need to fall in love with Jesus. You just need to fall in love with Jesus. You say, I already am. Do it some more. Do it deeper, longer, wider. Give more to it. You got to fall in love with Jesus. You got to be radically head over heels in love with Jesus if any of this is going to happen. It kind of works like this. Uh, last year, Debbie had a, a birthday. Uh, it was her 29th, I believe. Is that right? <laughs> She's had that birthday several times. Uh, but this was a big 29th birthday. And so I decided that I wanted to do something special. I decided that I was going to write her a letter. That for every year that she had lived, I would write about one of the things that I loved about her. And it took me several days to 
write the letter because there was so much to write. That, that's not about her years. That's, <laughs> that's about her character. Whew, I almost got caught up that time. And so her birthday came and I gave her the card and she liked the card and she read the letter and she liked the, the letter. But none of that changed her. It changed me. It changed me. I was already deeply in love with her. But again, I fell head over heels in love with this woman as I wrote and thought and considered, I love this woman. I love this and I love that and I love all of these things. Well, with Jesus, we've got to do the same kind of thing. Have you ever written a love letter to Jesus? Have you ever taken the time to say, how much closer could I get to Jesus? What more could I do in the rhythms of my life to get as close to Jesus as I possibly could? Everyone, every day, needs to wake up and say, how can I fall in love with Jesus today? Your marriage would be better if you did that with your spouse, right? Your relationship with Christ will be better if you do that every day. Uh, a second thing, so number one, just fall in love with Jesus. Number two, live like Jesus lived. Well, you would say, well, you know, the walking on water thing hasn't really worked for me yet, and I can't perform miracles, it seems. And So that's a pretty tall order to live like Jesus lived. It's really not that hard. When you begin to think about how he lived with people, that he loved the church people, he just seemed to spend an awful lot of time off the island. He was really good at coming to the island and then leaving the island and living among the people that so desperately needed him. It, it, it works like this. A few weeks ago, uh, Debbie and I had gone to one of our churches. I preached that morning. They had a big potluck afterwards. We spent the afternoon with the people in the church, and it was just a wonderful day. And so we get ready to leave, and there were a lot of people in the church that work in the fields, and they brought us bags and bags and bags of these right-out-of-the-field grapes, and they were awesome. They were so good, so delicious. And so we put them all in the car, and we're headed home, and we're almost home, and I'm thinking, man, I'm looking forward to the rest of Sunday afternoon. I know how this is going to go. It's football and a nap. We got it all worked out. Football and a nap. And we're just about ready to pull into the driveway, and Debbie said, you know what we ought to do this afternoon? And I said, yes, babe, I do. <laughs> she said, you're thinking the same thing I am. We've got all these grapes, and, and our neighbors, we're praying for them all the time, and, and we're trying to connect with them. We need to walk our neighborhood and give the, the grapes away and, and develop conversations with them. Is that what I was thinking, babe? <laughs> I didn't even know I was thinking that. <laughs> And so we got the grapes, and we began to walk the neighborhood. And we just started knocking on doors and just giving away grapes and just, how are you doing, how are you doing? And So we get to one house and knock on the door, and the neighbor comes to the door, and we've developed a little bit of a relationship with her. And So here's some grapes and just wanted to share them with all of you. And so, how are you doing today? And suddenly her face just kind of fell, and she said, I can't believe you came today. 
I can't believe you came today. And she just started pouring out all of this pain that was going on in her family. And she's just sharing and crying. And the next thing you know, we're standing there on her porch praying and just praying heaven down that God will help her in the midst of it. Living like Jesus lived is not difficult to figure out. And so we got to fall in love with Jesus and we got to live like Jesus. And thirdly, we got to love like Jesus loved. Again, you would say, well, that's, that's kind of hard. In, in John 13, it says this, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, Lord, I just have to be honest. I can't love like you love. And the Lord responds, I know. So I'll give you my heart. And when I give you my heart, you will be able to love like I love. It looks like this when you get that heart of love. Last summer, our kids who live in Nashville had gone to the lake one afternoon with a bunch of their friends and they had a bunch of little kids and they were having a, a barbecue, picnic, great time. And so the kids were all swimming in the lake and there's this area designated for young children, real shallow, roped off buoys, all that. It was great. Well, Callan, our grandson, who was seven, had just finished his first set of swim lessons and he was kind of beginning to get a little, little bit. And so he was out in the lake there having a great time, but the wind had kind of been blowing a little bit Without anybody noticing it, it had blown the ropes and the buoys out into deeper water. And so Callan's on his inner tube and he's having a great time. And, and he jumps off of his inner tube thinking, my little feet are going to go right to the bottom. But suddenly he was in the deep water. And he came up and, and he started screaming, Mommy! Mommy! And all the adults are on the shore. They're all just having great fellowship and having a great time. But Shauna had another set of ears. She had mama ears. And she instantly heard and recognized and jumped off and threw off the shoes and dove in and, and swam as fast as she could and got to Callan and, and pulled him to shore. A few tears and a few hugs and everything was okay. They enjoyed the rest of the afternoon. They got home that night and they're getting ready for bed and Shauna notices that Callan is unusually quiet. She says, are you okay, buddy? He said, Mommy, Mommy, if you hadn't come for me today, I would have died. And she said, oh, buddy, you were working so hard. You just had that doggy paddle going. He said, what's a doggy paddle? She said, well, it was what you were doing to just try to keep your head above water. He said, oh, but mommy, I saw you coming. You were coming with great big strokes. You came with great big strokes and you saved me, mommy. You came with great big strokes and you saved my life. Thank you. You see, I think that's what happens when God gives us his heart of love. We just kind of get a new set of ears to be attuned to people that are going under to be attuned to people that are drowning, attuned to people that are in a hard place. 
And what a marvelous thing when they see the people of God coming with great big strokes of love. Isn't that what you want? That the people who are far away would see you coming, that you sensed their pain and you saw their hurt and you heard and felt with God's own heart because you're a child of God and he's given you his heart and you show up and they find grace and mercy. This is who we are. Amen? We are the people of God. We have been transformed and we are being changed and everything is different. And so in a few minutes, we will leave here sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now you have a clearer sense of who Jesus is and who you're called to be and he's a missionary God and we're a missionary people and our trust is in Christ alone. And so tonight before we leave here, we want to take time as the people of God to just celebrate the grace of God, the goodness of God. And so in a moment, it seems like the best thing that we could do is to celebrate this great grace and that we have put our trust in Christ alone by coming to the table of the Lord. Would you prepare your hearts with me? Father God, we thank you that you have sent Jesus Christ into this world, that you have sent Jesus and, Lord, that you came and you took up residence among us and you showed us how to live and you showed us how to love. So, Lord, we just thank you for this day and we thank you for these good people. Lord, we just ask now that you would prepare our hearts that we might remember together who we are because of who you are and what you've done. Be with us now, we pray, and we ask it in your name. Amen. And as we celebrate this hope together, we're going to receive in just a moment the elements as the servers pass them out. What I'm going to ask you to do, as you receive the elements, could you just hold them? Hold them for just a minute as you're all getting them at different times because we're family, right? Amen? Amen. This is the family of God. So we are going to take supper as a family. Amen? Amen. If you need gluten-free, could you just raise your hand and be brave? Two of our daughters have to eat gluten-free. It, it makes a huge difference in their lives, and we understand the, the need and the importance of it, so please feel free to do that. Go ahead and begin serving, please. Now, tonight, we celebrate the hope that we have in the Son of God who took on human form, the Son of God who accepted ridicule, a torturous death for a crime he did not even commit. And why did he do that? He did that because he wanted to return us into relationship with him. He did it all for us. We have been separated by the sin of the fall. That's who we are. We have within us the twisted, the twisted, marred sin that gets in the way of who God originally created us to be. But deep inside us is that image of God. And God wants so badly for that image to come forth again.
for that image to, to shine so the people around us can see that we belong to him and see better who he is, what he looks like because they see your life. They hear what you're saying. They see what you're doing. And they realize, ah, that's what the love of God looks like. That's what it means to live in a family of love. That's what I want. We are about to join with the disciples and countless others over the years, over the centuries, who have celebrated this time of communion together. Now, for some of you, you may have accepted Christ recently, maybe even during the times that this Pastor Rob was sharing this week or earlier with this Pastor Rob. Um, and perhaps this is the first time you are taking communion as a child of God. Praise God. Can I tell you, we are celebrating with you tonight. Okay, maybe now we are near as great a celebration as the one going on in heaven because the angels were really having a party when you did that, okay? But we are celebrating with you tonight. You might be taking it for the first time or maybe, maybe you accepted Christ years ago and life got in the way you got your eyes on what was in front of you. you. Your focus was kind of turned away from, well, from taking Christ with you everywhere, from giving him your joys, giving him your sorrows, your troubles, your difficulties, laughing with him, helping him to be part, allowing him to be part of your life in every area, in everything that you do. And you're saying, okay, God, I want to restore that relationship that you worked so hard for you and I to have. I want that back again. Maybe you're one of the faithful who have kept your eyes on Christ nonstop for decades. What's wonderful is tonight, it doesn't matter if for the first time you're just beginning this relationship with God, finding out what it's like to live in relationship with the Father who created you, who knows the life that he had in store for you when he designed you. Thank you. No matter where you are in this journey, and we are all somewhere on the journey, we don't need signs. We don't need to hold up our differences because we're all one, united in the family of God. But wherever we are, if you choose to, you can receive these elements signifying that you have placed your trust in Christ alone. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, Pastor Rob, I think a few more people than that have placed their trust in Christ alone. Let's try that again. This will signify that you place your trust in Christ alone. Amen? Amen. That's the church I've been with all week long. <laughs> Thank you. Now, you know, so often we say we take communion. But I've been thinking about that word take. If I take something, that means I choose to reach out take a hold of it, and get it for myself. And it means I'm in control. The truth is none of us take communion because communion is a gift of God. Because of Jesus Christ and all he's done for you, offered to you through the Holy Spirit, and you are allowed to receive it. And tonight, you are all invited to receive this gift. Let me read to us from 1 Corinthians 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, 
he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And just as Christ gave, gave thanks, let's receive gratefully and partake remembering that this represents the body that was broken for you. And as you do, in your heart right now, are you thanking God? Thanks be to God. There are so many reasons that many that have been shared this week that you can be thanking God. I pray that you're thanking him right now. Then he took a cup, which represented his blood poured out at his death. And when he had given thanks... And again, even Christ was thankful. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So together, let's give thanks and drink together, remembering the sacrificial love Jesus Christ has for each and every one of us. And all God's people said, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. But you know, the scripture doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So by taking communion, we are also testifying that Christ is who he says he is. And when we put that cup down and we walk out these doors, we continue testifying with our lives that Christ is who he says he is. Amen? I'm excited about the fact that this many lights for Christ are going to be going out into Tehachapi this week. And that God will be glorified in your school, in your work, in your home, in your community, in your neighborhood. Praise God. He tells us to be ready. Be ready to tell anyone who loved him, Ever, anyone that he died in the place of the consequences for things they did that were wrong in God's eyes, that he forgives us. He not only forgives, we forgive each other, but he not only forgives, he forgets. Scripture tells us he forgets. And that we are adopted just as our beautiful grands are adopted. We are adopted as his children to have a relationship with the creator, not just until our physical body dies, but forever. Let's join in prayer, shall we? Father God, you are so good and so gracious to be the creator of all the universe, and yet you choose to have relationship with each of us. And not only do you choose that, God, you chose to send your own son to die in the place of our wrong choices. We could never thank you enough. Father, let our gratitude be our lives, our examples, our words as we go out into this world. We ask you to let us know with, our, with the Holy Spirit when there's somebody we can talk to. God, please show us. Show us the one to whom we can say, you know, you're looking down. Can I pray for you? God, show us the one that we can share love with and, and the way we can share love with them. Show us what to do. And when the opportunity arises for us to tell our story, God, give us the words. Give us the words. 
And when we don't think our words are right, please remind us that your spirit, spirit fills in the blanks. And we, for, we thank you for that too, God. We thank you. Lord, we thank you for this time together. May we be continually growing more in your image to be more the people you designed us to be. And together, all of God's children said. And so now, one last time, may I speak a blessing over you. If you would receive it this evening, put your hands out to signify, Lord, I receive these words from you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and fill you with every good gift. And may you believe to the depths of your soul that you are the children of God with every right and every privilege pertaining to your new name. And may you know deep within your hearts that while you have a wonderful church, that you are sent into a desperate world. And so may God bless you and use you and send you for his glory. And all God's people said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was bless you. It's been an incredible joy to be with you in these days. You are sent in the power and presence of God himself. God bless.